Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July 5th. Scrapping best before dates will help the average Canadian household cut down on food waste and save money. That's according to the findings of a government committee aimed at urging Ottawa to re-examine food labeling. We discussed the topic with Janin Music from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. The strike at the BC port is costing Canada millions of dollars every day. We get the latest on the work stoppage and what may bring it to resolution with Greg Wilson, Director of Government Relations with the Retail Council of Canada. Just when you thought you were making a healthy choice by choosing diet soda over a sugary drink, a new study suggests aspartame may increase the risk of cancer. We hear details on the research from Timothy Caulfield, professor of health, law, and policy at the University of Alberta. If it looks good and it smells good, then it's probably good to eat. Well, this morning, we're talking best before dates and why their time might just be up. Joining us to discuss is Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Good morning, Janet. Thanks for being with us again. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so the government looking at removing best before dates to try and reduce grocery waste. Let's put this idea to the smell test. Is it an effective idea, do you think? Well, it'll be interesting to see how this rolls out. I think a lot of us really depend on those dates, whether or not they are required on packaging, you know. And not a lot of us really know that much about our food. And so, you know, sometimes it's just easy to pick up a bottle of mayonnaise and just look at the best before dates because we don't actually know what it smells like, aside from having mold on it, of course, if it goes bad. So... You know, only 27% of Canadians will feel comfortable, you know, judging their food's quality without a best before date. So, you know, I think a lot of education will be needed if the government does go ahead and implement this kind of program change. Janet, you know, I'm uh, of a certain age. I might be 50. Um, and all I remember, <laughs> plus, plus. <laughs> all I remember are these best before dates, but they had to have started at some point. Can you tell us about the parameters surrounding the start of these best before dates and, you know, how they're determined exactly? Well, I am also maybe of a certain age, <laughs> almost 50, and uh, it's the same for me. And so, Really, I think there's some confusion over what they mean. And so not to be confused with expiry dates, which are legally required on five specific problems, uh, products that are for medically necessary diets. So think baby formula or or those kind of insure products that people who um, are experiencing cancer, that kind of thing. So medically necessary where the nutrients uh, will expire and, and it's, a, it's a requirement. Best before dates though are really only required on foods that have a durability or a shelf life of about 90 days. So three months-ish. And you know, uh, but uh, producers tend to put them on all sorts of products. Uh, you will see them sometimes if you buy canned goods up to two years out. And, and I think this is really an overuse that has kind of led to a dependency of, of Canadians, uh, you know, when it comes to shopping. And in the end, really, it, it does produce more food waste because we're not using our senses and our common sense to determine whether or not food is bad. And, you know, more food waste is, of course, kind of bad for the environment. It's a lot of wasted energy uh, in producing that. Food, but with the cost of food the way it is right now, it's still 8.3% food price inflation. 
can we be affording to throw out food that may not be the best quality, but is still perfectly healthy to eat uh, from our fridges? And I think you've nailed it there, Janet. It's, you know, the best before versus the expiry date. And I think you're right. People are confused as to which one is the one we should be looking at. Maybe wouldn't that make more sense that we just have one date on our product and that's the one that you really shouldn't use it after this date? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think for baby formula, we really want to have a a go-no-go date on, on something like that, right? where we have vulnerable, you know, people, you know, tiny little people and people who also just have vulnerable health problems, you know, have to know whether or not this food is uh, nutritionally valid. For those of us, though, who are, you know, just have a regular diet or or adhering to, uh, you know, health-related diet, things that are, you know, maybe just weight-related or other looks or whatever, right? Just want to be healthy individuals all around. You know, we can really educate ourselves on what it means to eat food past the expiry date. And so, you know, I think when it comes to canned goods, I remember, you know, being taught as a child, you know, be careful with the dents, it's going to give you botulism. Mm -hmm. But in point of fact, it's a very specific dent that will, you know, that's along the seam that may give you uh, problems. And it's not just your regular dented soup. And so, I think, you know, for most Canadians, you know, a little bit of an education campaign to to say, you know, maybe you don't have to pour that milk out because it's past its date. Give it a sniff, maybe pour a little out into the sink. If it it looks fine and it smells fine, it's likely fine. I'm I'm wondering, you know, this, this is what we're staring down. And again, mentioning at the beginning of this interview, this is what we've experienced our lifetimes. But how do these best before dates or expiry dates compare across the globe? Do different countries handle these sorts of things differently? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So, you know, similar to us, uh, countries like UK and Australia did have this kind of uh, program where they required best before dates, but they've since started to remove them. Uh, and they have noticed that it has cut down on food waste. And so, you know, we are seeing some success in similar jurisdictions across the globe where, you know, people are, are cognizant of the of the waste that households are making. And, of course, food waste doesn't just happen at the household, right? It, it happens on firm. It happens in transportation, even at retail before we grab it. But, you know, in terms of what we can control as consumers – you know, removing some of these dates that cause confusion will absolutely eliminate waste. And and I think the other thing to remember in terms of prices, yes, if you don't have to buy it more often, you're saving money. But oftentimes, if you're in the grocery store and you see something that's maybe used tonight with a sticker on it, or, you know, it's on a special shelf where maybe the bananas are a bit browner or maybe it's getting close to its shelf life according to the producer you could save money there as well and the product may be perfectly fine uh you know in terms of things that go into your freezer buying those enjoy tonight uh products like meat that can be very expensive often the most expensive thing in the shopping cart you toss those in your freezer and they're fine Mm -hmm. so there's lots of ways for us to change our behavior just a slight uh, bit, and then we could be saving money, and we could be saving garbage or waste, food waste, from our households, and we could be impacting it at retail as well. 
So the government, you know, looking into this is all part of the result of that report on grocery affordability. But I wanted to just step back to mayonnaise because you talked about it from the beginning. Can I eat my mayonnaise after its best before date or expiry date on the jar? Well, I mean, everybody has their own threshold for risk and comfort, right? And so if there is mold on any product in the fridge, now I am not a, I am not a specialist when it comes to, uh, you know, health and wellness. When it comes to food, you know, we look at prices and we look at sociology. Uh, but if there's mold, I am going to take a stand and say absolutely throw that out. Um, but if there's not mold on it and it looks fine and it smells fine, I think people need to go to the internet or maybe ask their doctor or maybe even ask someone at the grocery store if you catch someone that you know you think might know more about it than you do and, and do some research to see if it is going to be okay. Um, but certainly if it smells off, if it, if it tastes a little bit off, and if there's mold on it, toss it but otherwise it's you know time that we learn a little bit more about what we're eating and not just rely on what they're telling us Mm -hmm. that we're eating Mm -hmm. more money in our pockets after a trip to the grocery store and less in the compost i think we could all benefit from that thanks for your time janet we appreciate it absolutely Uh, Janet Music, agri-food analytics lab and faculty of management at dalhousie university and sue I want to throw it out there okay. because I'm wondering if you have to have the whole family on the same page because different family members, oh, I can't eat that. I Look at that date. It expired yesterday. My kids with the milk, for example. Um, so what's it like in your house? And are you cognizant of these dates? And you go a little further because it's a best before, not mm-hmm. an expiry. And you smelled it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it seems fine. Would, would you miss these dates or could you survive? Strike by over 7,000 cargo loaders at approximately 30 B.C. ports is in its fifth day now. Joining us to discuss the issue and what it's costing the Canadian economy, we are joined by Greg Wilson, B.C. Director of Government Relations for the Retail Council of Canada. Good morning to you, Greg. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's get to the, the heart of the matter and, uh, of course, the beginning of this matter. Can you break down for us what are the demands and uh, what, why did workers decide to walk out for this strike? Well, I mean, we're not a party to the negotiations, but there's lots of media coverage on why they're striking. Essentially, they're striking over wages. This dispute has been going on since their contract ended. Um, Our difficulty is that this impacts a billion dollars a day of cargo trade on Canada's West Coast ports. Um, The inbound containers are, much of that is retail. The outbound is energy and and uh, farm produce in the main and so um, our industry and those industries are um, deeply impacted by this stretching into day four day is it day four or five today uh day five today what is the cost of this strike i have heard some rather phenomenal numbers coming out of this well it's stopping a billion dollars worth of cargo trade a day essentially Um, There are a lot of secondary impacts, and those aren't easily quantified. But what happens is for our industry, when goods, which generally come through the West Coast ports by container, when goods can't reach those West Coast ports by container, there are a number of things that happen. One is they could sit on ships and wait. Um, That costs, um, you know, those who are shipping goods, Per day, there's an increase in cost because the ship owners aren't holding those 
um, containers for free on their vessels. If it's diverted to another port, that's more time on that ship, perhaps another day to Seattle or longer to another port. Um, then there you have the costs of transportation and you know, additional transportation and storage costs. Um, for those who have containers who are stuck at the Port of Vancouver behind a picket line, um, that means they are paying storage right now for those containers, even though they don't have access to them. Let's uh, talk just briefly about the negotiation process. Are, are we hearing that both sides are, uh, you know, coming to uh, together to talk about it? And do we have any indication if uh, we're having any progress when it comes to said negotiations? I mean... Yesterday, we were told that the federal labor minister was meeting with the was meeting with the um, union, and that the federal mediation and conciliation service were meeting with the union. Um, however, the employer association, the BC Maritime Employer Association, sent out an update uh, on Sunday that was deeply depressing because for us it said that there was no room left to negotiate. Um, so for those of us who rely on the whose businesses rely on the port, um, that's a very difficult message. You know, we need the port to be open as quickly as possible. And, you know, that's why we and many other business associations are calling on, you know, the federal government to recall parliament and um, take action to get an agreement between the two parties. And yet it seems like the government is, is very, very hesitant to do that. The, the Fed's saying they're not really at this point willing to step in. The NDP saying, though, that we shouldn't. Why is it with this strike particularly, it seems like the government doesn't want to be a part of it or step in and, and, and push them back onto the job? You know, I can't speak for the government, but I'd say this. The West Coast ports handle very significantly more volume than the Port of Montreal. The Port of Montreal had a one-day strike that was legislated back to work by Parliament in 2021. So I guess a smaller port that's um, in central Canada attracted more attention. Um, the volume of goods, a third of Canada's imports and exports are coming through the West Coast ports, you know, and when you consider how dominant our relationship is with the, our trade relationship is with the U.S., that indicates to, to us how important the Port of Vancouver is. Um, we hear this from our members in Central Canada and Eastern Canada, how important it, the port is to, for them to get goods not only from Asia but from around the world. Um, and our view is that because it's sort of out of Central Canada, it's out of the attention of the federal government. Well, let's talk about, you know, five days might not seem like that much, but again, we talk about supply chain and uh, already, you know, on, on, on the most solid ground in our nation. Um, are consumers feeling the effects quite yet of these uh, supply chain uh, disruptions, or is that something that we will see in the coming days and weeks ahead? You know, that's something you'll see in the coming weeks. Um, the issue right now is that retailers are getting extra costs. Every time we receive extra costs, it's going to result in higher prices. Those prices are general. Those costs are generally passed on in our business to consumers. So that's difficult for consumers at a time of inflation. But more importantly, you know, people, I think the federal government forgets that Canadians have a lot of experience with supply chain difficulties in recent years. First, we had COVID, then we've had significant floods that impacted, you know, the shipments from the West Coast ports. 
Um, we've had shortages of consumer goods because particular items, you know, coming from parts of the world, you know, constituent ingredients and medications that cause problems with shortages of medications last winter, um, you know, other problems relating to the supply of, of powdered dairy and, and diapers in recent years, these things are impacted by shortages of one particular ingredient. You know, when we cut the supply chain, we are essentially shorting manufacturers of, of ingredients that they need to make these products. We know an estimated 25% of Canada's imports and exports flow through that port of Vancouver and other marine gateways along that west coast. I think there are a lot of people hoping that this strike will end quickly. Will it? We'll have to wait and see. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Greg. You're welcome. Appreciate it. You too. Greg Wilson, Director of Government Relations for the Retail Council of Canada uh, via BC. Feels like every week something new is trying to kill us. (laughs) Yeah, late this week, uh, the WHO announced the link between um, aspartame and cancer. Joining us to chat about what you need to know before cracking open that next diet soda is Tim Caulfield, University of Alberta professor in health, law, and policy, and Canada Research Chair in health, law, and policy. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, guys. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm uh, right now drinking a (laughs) zero-sugar Dr. Pepper and, you know, I thought, you know, for example, aspartame and, and not to, uh, you know, aim at one brand, Diet Coke's been around for over 40 years. It's safe. It's sound. But that might not be the case. So tell us about this latest research from the WHO. Well, my, my dis- disclosure is I'm a recovering Diet Coke <laughs> uh, addict. So, you know, I have my biases, my biases here, too. Look, look, this this is from an agency called uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And what they do is they just classify possible cancer risks. So they have they have what's called a class one, uh, which is it does cause the substance does cause cancer. They have a class two A, which is a probably causes cancer. Then they have a class two B possibly causes cancer. Then the class three is probably doesn't. Uh, uh, aspartame is now in that 2B possibly causes cancer. So I, I think we need to be really careful here because this agency doesn't even really say the magnitude of the risk. They're just saying that that aspartame is possibly carcinogenic. And to be honest with you, the data is is pretty is pretty messy. So there's three reasons why I don't think we need to get too worried. One. Uh, is what I just described. You know, the data is is messy. It's only possibly um, uh, a carcinogenic. To give you a sense, you guys, also in that 2B B category, uh, pickled veggies, uh, aloe vera, that's in that category, <laughs> in that category too. The second reason we don't need to get too excited about it is uh, the concept of dose. So what do I mean by that? You know, something can be carcinogenic, but only in massive quantities. It's really the dose that matters. Not all carcinogenic substances are necessarily dangerous if you are exposed to them in very low dosages. And the last reason we don't need to get too excited and why you can probably continue to drink your aspartame is is the idea that even if all the science is correct, the risk is probably pretty pretty darn low. So yeah, we should continue to research this. We always want to make our food and the substances we're exposed to safe. But but right now, I don't think we need to get, get too worried. Uh, Tim, this isn't anything new though, is it? I haven't been hearing this about aspartame for a long time. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a really good. I've been following this. It feels like forever, yeah. for decades, you know. Um, and, and to be honest with you, all the sugars, uh, the 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 sweetener substitutes uh, have have had some controversy around them. You know, there's even mixed data about whether you know people drink aspartame to lower their cal calorie intake, right? Whether it really does lead to to weight loss. You know, I think probably it is a it it, it helps in that in that domain. Uh, you know, there have been controversies with other kinds of, of ailments, and the data can continues to be messy you know to be honest with you this this goes to the the reality it's it's hard to research nutrition you know it's hard to get good concrete data uh in this space and I, and I know what's frustrating when you see those headlines so it's also a good reminder you know be skeptical of those really dogmatic headlines when it comes to to nutrition and I guess you could look at the other side Tim and that would be you know too much sugar maybe you are replacing one evil with uh, potentially another in aspartame and and last but not least for example if if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic uh, you know it might be a better choice to use a um, aspartame based product yeah you know that that that's an excellent example and you've seen a lot of commentary on exactly that you know is this this worry about aspartame going to cause people to drink you know sugar you know uh, beverages that are full of sugar you know that'd be a disastrous consequence right you know we're trying to segue away from that um and to be honest with you another concern with aspartame is it sort of feeds that our need for sweetness right creates this sweetness mm -hmm. expectation that maybe isn't the best thing you know i i i've tried to i drink water uh i drink coffee <laughs> lots of coffee and the occasional alcoholic drink and that's all the only beverages i drink uh and uh you know th there is this idea that we should be you know trying to nudge ourselves in, in in that direction and really that's the thing right we just have to we got to make our own judgment because let's face it aspartame is a chemical we, we have a lot of chemicals in our food and water or food and drink chain these days and 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 i think probably a lot of them car could be carcinogenic but you have to take that chance yourself you have to be smart about what you eat right yeah, and it really goes down to the, the cliche that we've heard forever, right? Moderation and sensible mm -hmm. food choices. You want to create a healthy pattern of eating, one that is, you know, it's healthy, it's sustainable, and it works for you. Yeah, absolutely. But just it's such a minefield these days to keep on top of all of it. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Tim. And uh, this Diet Coke's for you in moderation. <laughs> well, my Diet Dr. Pepper. Have, have a Thanks, great guys. day. Have a great Wednesday.